Oh, and it started recording. All right, there. All right. Is that what we're now we're just gonna have a just have a word of prayer and then we can then we can go right on with this. All right. All right. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. Brother Tony, would you lead us as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be asked, Lord. We thank you for your new blessings. Pray that you continue to be with each and every one that's here. Be at this church. They might be the lighthouse of this community. Be the ones that are sick, the ones that are traveling, the ones that are on our prayer list. That uh, you be with each and every one of those needs, and may your will be done in those cases. Pray you continue to be with, uh, with our Sunday school teacher this morning, give them the words to say, maybe open hearts and minds to hear and study your word. Be with the, our pastor and his family. Continue to encourage and strengthen them. Uh, pray that you would be with us as we go through this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are at a rather exciting place in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 28, or 27. Yeah, chapter 27. I read both chapters last night, but so... (laughs) Anyway, this is Paul's journey to Rome. Rather eventful journey. And the Roman government was paying his way. And they were uh, starting out rather late in the year. Matter of fact, when they finally got around to sending him, they'd kept him in jail for two years in Caesarea. And... Finally, uh, Festus came into the office of the governor of of Judea, and he finally heard Paul's case, and and, uh, they decided to send him on to Rome. And when they finally decided, it was fall. Now, fall is not a good time Fall and winter is not a good time to travel on the Mediterranean as far as shipping was concerned because the winds came down from the northwest and they were traveling to the west so they're fighting a headwind all along the the way there. It was pushing them out away from the coast, the, the northern coast of the sea and so it was pushing them out into the middle of the Mediterranean is the idea here and they were fighting bad weather the whole time and so as they're they started out about this time of the year and it was in the fall but the travel going north was difficult because of the headwinds. So they had to go back and forth and tacking into the wind to get anywhere to the west. And so this is what they were fighting. And starting this late in the season, it wasn't a good idea to travel. And uh, like most of us, they weren't thinking ahead. And (laughs) so... They started out late, but here in, oops, I haven't even turned, 
Okay, I'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 27. When it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners to one named Justice, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into the ship of Adramitium, we launched, uh, meaning to sail, by the coast of Asia. One, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. So this Aristarchus was traveling with Paul on this journey. I don't know much about Aristarchus. He was a Macedonian, and they had Paul had preached in Macedonia. Oh, and we don't know what city he was from there. Uh, other than Matt. Thessalonica, he he was from that region anyway, and he was traveling with them. Now you'll notice he said, with us. And that indicates that the author of this book was traveling also with Paul, and that would have been Luke. So there were three, three Christians aboard this ship, whether any of the others were or not. And this ship that they got on was from, let's see, what? Uh, is, I didn't, maybe I haven't read, oh, there it is. Adram Mitium. I'm not sure how to say that, but this is a port just, just right near Troas <clears throat> and it must not be a very big port because it wasn't on many of the maps that I had I didn't find it on any of them but that's where it was and it was just a few miles from Troas as you recall that was where uh, people that were sent on ahead met with Paul when they traveled here to uh, to Syria, here along the Syrian coast, and so here they are. They're they're setting out uh, in this ship, and they follow the coast of Asia. I, I want want you to look at the map here. They were they started out here at. Uh, well, right about here, it doesn't show it on there, um, Caesarea, there's Caesarea right here. And they, they go up the coast and they set in at uh, Sidon here. And this is where they launch out and, and they, rather than cutting across here, which would be quicker, they can't do that because of the winds. So they stick close to the shore and go up around this way, sticking real close to the shore, going in and out where they see the shore. Because this time of the year, you didn't want to launch out into the middle of the Mediterranean because you might find yourself in Africa. <laughs> the winds would come down pretty strong at this time of the year. So they went up around this way and then 
just followed the coast over here to to Simbas. This is a little island right there. It just shows a dot. It's like a town out in the middle of the ocean. You know, that's all that there was on this island. Not a big island. And then they'll come from there down here to Crete and, and follow along. See this? They could come this way, but they wanted to get out so they could have a shot to Italy. Italy's right here. And they wanted to head over this way. But being as it was inclement weather, they were they stopped here at Lycia and then they went to Clauda, which is a, a little island out here, and then they were going to try and make it over here to Phoenix. And Phoenix had a a port that was more uh, where the weather wasn't so bad and where they could spend the winter there. They were planning to spend the winter there. But then when the wind started blowing in a more favorable direction, they thought, well, maybe we better take this chance and we'll shoot across the, to Italy real quick, you know, while the winds are favorable. That was a mistake, and Paul points that out to them. So let's go on with our reading here. That gives you an idea of where he's traveling. And uh, verse 3, And the next day we touched at Sidon. And that was the first port that they stopped at. And Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. So Paul had friends there in Sidon. And the centurion gave him liberty to go and to be refreshed by his friends. What what that means, maybe have dinner with them, whatever. But he was given liberty. He may have had to take a soldier with him, at, seeing as how he was a prisoner. But uh, he was entreated courteously by Julius. And that that is a wonderful thing. This This man was a fair-minded individual. He was over 100 soldiers. Now, we're going to find that this ship isn't necessarily the one that they they've traveled on because they picked up another ship here. We'll read, read that here. Uh, and when we had launched... From, that, from thence, from Sidon, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. This, this is a, the way they start out. They're fighting contrary winds, but they uh, went around Cyprus there, the, the larger island, because they were staying close to the shore. They didn't want to get too far away from the shore. And this is a fairly large ship that they're in, and so, you know, because he has, it, has his soldiers with him. He had a hundred soldiers with him. And, uh, and then verse 5 says, And when we had sailed over the sea of, Cilic- of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. 
Okay, I didn't mention Myra, but this is where they'll pick up another ship. They'll change ships there. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing unto Italy, and he put, put us therein. Okay, now the reason the ships are sailing from Alexandria to Italy is they're carrying grain from Egypt. Alexandria is in Egypt, and they're carrying that grain across the Mediterranean to feed the Roman armies and to feed the Roman people, for that matter. They were, this grain was being carried there to make bread in Italy. So this ship came out of Alexandria, and it was heavily laden with grain, of course, and they add to this more people, and it was a big enough ship to, to accommodate people, as, as well as all that grain that they were carrying. And they, the grain ships were a little different because they had a larger hold in them, of, of the capacity to carry a lot of grain. So they needed that space. And Verse 7, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Sindus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmoni. Okay, in saying that, they, they moved very slowly because the wind was against them, and it, it wouldn't allow them to go to the north there. Or, or even to the west. So the, it took them many days, uh, and they they just barely, it says that we're scared, and scarce were come over against Sindus. Okay, so they, they were just barely able to go over to the island, little island of Sindus because the wind would, wouldn't let them do anything else. And we sailed under Crete. Now this is a, a long shot to, out to the island of Crete. And it was, the winds were favorable to get them there because they were coming out of the north. So they could go down, down across the Mediterranean to the island of Crete. And they went around the west end of Crete. And, and they were traveling the little cities. But they were, as they went west again, there along the island of Crete, they were up there bucking headwinds again. The, the headwinds were coming at them from the, west, the north and the west. And Sal, Salmoni is a, a town there on the island of Crete. And, but they didn't stop there. It says, and hardly passing it, we came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nigh thereunto was the city of Lycia, Lycia. So these two islands are there. I think Lycia is before Salmoni uh, as you're traveling to the west, as they were. So they had a, they were having trouble getting there, and they, they hoped to... They went to a place called Fair Havens. Uh, 
And then verse 9, it says, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. So there were 276 people aboard this ship. That's a big ship. Plus all that cargo of grain and whatever else they were carrying to Italy. So they had a hundred soldiers, uh, and I'm not sure how many prisoners, but there were three people that we know here that were Christians that were on this ship, and sailors, and maybe other passengers. I'm not sure on that. But this, Paul said, hey, this is not going to be a a good idea to travel. This is dangerous, even just sailing here along the coast. And here we are out here on the island of Crete, and there are havens there. A haven is a a port where it's where you can anchor your ship and winter over there. And that's what they planned to do until the until these winds changed to a favorable direction. They said, "Let's take this chance and go." So uh, Paul said, "This isn't a good idea. There's going to be people are going to get hurt on this voyage. They're, you're going to lose the cargo and and maybe our lives too. You're risking all these people's lives by traveling at this time of the year." Verse eleven. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. So the centurion, though he was a, a good man, he believed the master of the ship. He said, this guy sails the Mediterranean all the time. Paul isn't a sailor. I'm going to take his word for it. Big mistake. Verse 12. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also if if by any means they might attain to Phoenix. This is Phoenix. And there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. I don't know what lieth towards the southwest and northwest northwest means. I I don't know if it's a, a circular harbor there or what. I wasn't able to find a large enough map of Crete to get get an idea of that. So it uh, Phoenix is on the far west end of the island of Crete. So they wanted to get in there and and winter over. Reason reason being for that is because of the winds that we were talk, we were just talking yes. about. Yes. Is that that harbor was sheltered enough because Phoenix is on the south West side of Crete, I think, wasn't it? Uh, it's on the far west end. Oh, yeah, but so yeah, it, it's on the south side of Crete, yes. It's it's protected, and that harbor they're protected from those winds that would otherwise sweep them back up right. the sea. Right, so but they... kind of provided, a, I guess the landscape provided a natural barrier for that wind to pass over, 
rather than pass through. Right, and to drive them. And, drive them out. Because they would have to be set at anchor in, mm-hmm. in whatever harbor, wherever they harbored. So they were trying to make it to Phoenix, or Phoenice, however you want to say that. Uh, the New American Standard says Phoenix, and Phoenice is the King James. So, I mean, these pronunciations, some of them are in Latin, some are in Greek, some are in Thessal, the whatever other languages they might have there around the Mediterranean. So, pronunciation, and, and then and then it's translated into English, and we butcher everything, it seems. <laughs> so, uh, take these pronunciations with a grain of salt, if you will. Uh, so, they, they were going to try and make it to Phoenix, and then they... Verse 13, and says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. So they, they, for a short while, you know, the winds blow from all different directions, but when they're, the primary wind is down out of the northwest. So when the south wind blew softly, a nice gentle breeze, they said, well, maybe we ought to just take off and head across there while we've got a chance with a soft, gentle breeze. First, verse 14, But not long after, there arose against us a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. There's another pronunciation in the New American Standard for that, another spelling. It's similar to that, but what I, what I understand this Euroclidon me, to mean, it's a Greek and Latin to, Greek and Latin combined here in this word. And so this Euroclidon or whatever it's called here just means it's a northwest wind. <laughs> and you know, here in the United States, people on the East Coast say it's a, it's a nor'easter. <laughs> You know, it's that kind of a thing, you know. But uh, that's what Euroclidon was, and it's not a favorable wind. It's a bad thing when you're trying to go to the west. Okay, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. We said, okay, we can't do anything about it, but... We're going to let it, let it go. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Now this boat that they're talking about is like a dinghy. It's a little boat that they tow behind the ship. And they use this little boat for setting anchors out. They would haul the anchor out as far as the line would go, and they would drop it when they're anchoring a, a ship. And this, evidently, this little boat was just about swamped. And so they were hauling that in, dragging it up onto the, onto the ship. And they, that's what they mean by come by the boat. You know, that's to, to get that boat out of the water. Because when it 
fills up with water, it's hard to lift it out of the ocean or out of the sea. Uh, and they're still talking about that boat in verse 17. It says, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were driven. So what they did is, and we'll see this uh, in a minute here, but they used this boat to set a, a drag. Basically what they do is they lower, lower one of the, uh, the sails into the ocean and drag it behind the ship so that the ship isn't driven by the wind. It, it just slows them down. It's like a parachute slows a person down when they're coming out of an airplane. They use the same principle, only in the water. And that's what they're doing here. They're using that to slow the, to keep the wind from driving them out into the middle of the Mediterranean, basically. So it's, it just slowed them down. Uh, but they were worried about quicksands that they're near this small island called Clada. And it is a very small island, but the area around that island is shallow. And there are sands there, and you can get your ship stuck in that, and then you're at the mercy of the waves that can tear your ship up. So they were, they were fighting the weather. And the, this whole, the whole journey, they're fighting that northwest wind. Verse 19 says, um, no, verse 18 and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. They made the ship lighter, threw, threw things overboard that they felt that they really didn't need. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. Now, wait a minute, this is getting serious. When you throw out the tackling of the ship, there's, there are extra spars that you might need on this journey, there might be ropes, there might be uh, pulleys, you know, there were things like this that were used aboard a ship and they were good to have, but when you need to make the ship lighter and weight, you get rid of them. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest, tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. We lost hope. We couldn't see this. We couldn't navigate by the stars or the sun. We, we weren't sure where we were. We couldn't see land. We were just being driven by the wind. Not a comfortable feeling. And so they didn't know exactly where they were. They didn't know what, you know, didn't have any way to slow the ship down other than having, they said they struck the sails, so that the sails weren't up, but still the ship was being pushed along ahead of the wind. And when you don't have sails up, you don't have control by the rudder either. So this put them in a rather precarious position. And verse 21 says, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and have, 
and not have loosed from Crete. We should have stayed on the island of Crete. I, I warned you about that, and you didn't listen to me. So here we are in this mess out here. And we should, uh, should not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. So all that stuff that they threw overboard was lost. It was just jettisoned. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. <laughs> he said, cheer up, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but we're going to lose the ship. He said, but the ship. He said, we're going to lose this ship, but all of our lives are going to be saved. Now, how do you suppose Paul knew that? Because God told him so. And we're, we're going to see that here. So he says, be of good cheer. Nobody's going to lose their life here. Now, this is 276 people. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom, whom I serve. My God sent an angel to tell me that every life aboard this ship is going to be saved. Now this was, you know, they said, well, that's, that's very nice. We, we're glad you think so, but uh, it's, it doesn't look promising. You know, nothing looked promising here to those pe people aboard that ship. But Paul knew better because the angel had spoken to him during the night. Uh, verse 24, here's what the angel said, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. He said, God put these people in Paul's hand, made him, put him in charge of all these people aboard the ship, including the centurion. Now that sounds strange, but God can do those things. And he, he said, this is how it is. So you're in charge here, Paul. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. He said, God said it, it's done. It's a done deal. He gave his testimony to everybody aboard that ship in saying that. Howbeit, we must be cast up on a certain island, a certain, not just any old island, a certain island, a particular island. He said, you know, the angel had told him this. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in, in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near some country. They said, well, you know, we, we've got to feel, you know, sailors get an idea of, you know, the, the weather changes a little, the, the seas are different, uh, they see birds coming out from the island. I, I don't know if they were out in this wind or not, but something told them that they were close to the land, to some land. Yes. They would test, they still had to test the depth of the water. Yes, with, uh, sounding. With sound, yeah, sounding with that, with the, like rope and a, something that they would particularly, almost like an anchor, but it was lighter. They could right. feel the, test the depth every so often. Yes, but 
when they're being driven. And I kind of wondered about that too. If that they, that affects them being able to to perform that sounding because the water is so. No, I don't think they were sounding at at this point. Later on, they they will be. That because they felt they were close to land, then they started sounding. But they had this perception that they were getting close to land. And they didn't know what land they were getting close to, but they had that perception. And sailors have a feel for that. And they, so this is what the, they, they felt that they, were, they drew near to some country. And they sounded. That's verse 28. That's where the sounding comes in. Now, the rope is marked with little flags along it or knots or something. And they count those knots when they lower that over the side. And when they hit bottom, they can tell how deep the water is. And those knots are about six feet apart. That's a fathom. It's about six feet. And they sounded and found it was 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. So it's getting shallower quickly. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. <laughs> Yo, throw these anchors out and hope it holds us. And, and this is at night, by the way. They're throwing these anchors out and hoping they'll catch on something on the bottom of the sea and hold them, keep them from being thrown up on the island and into rocks. They, they had no idea where they were even, you know? So they, the sounding came when they had the idea they were close to land and they said, tested. They did that sounding and tested and found out that they were getting real close. And they, so they threw those anchors out and said, oh, I hope this holds, we're gonna be, we want some daylight to deal with this. We don't want to have to run up on rocks in the middle of the night. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when, when they had let down a boat into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Now this is an interesting passage right here because these sailors were pretending that they were going to set another anchor out near the front part of the ship. And instead, they were going to take that boat and get to land themselves without getting wet, or without getting too wet anyway. But uh, they, were, they were abandoning ship is what it amounts to. Uh, this under color, I don't know what that, you know, the term in the Navy to do something un under color, you set up flags that, you run up flags on your ship that tell other ships in the area what you are doing, what, what your plans are, so that they know where not to be around your ship. And I don't know if you've seen those flags, but each of them, each flag tells a story and so these color these were colored flags and they they use this even to this day for for ships in the US navy so maybe that's you know but they were saying this is what we're going to do we're we're setting out anchors 
But that wasn't their plan. That was the pretense. That's what they were saying they were going to do. That They were under colors as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. So they, they lied when they put those flags up and said, this is what we're doing. And Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Unless these sailors stay aboard, we need them to manage the ship. And if they all jump in that longboat and head for shore, we're in big trouble. The rest of us are in big trouble. Then the soldiers cut off the the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. In other words, they, nobody had that that boat at that rate. And while the day was coming, coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that we have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. He said, We've been so busy messing with this ship and trying to keep ourselves afloat and find out where we are and all this. We haven't had time to eat for fourteen days. I don't know about you, but I'd be hungry about this time. <laughs> and Paul said, Hey, let's let's eat. He says, take meat. He said, everybody, have something to eat. Uh, Verse 34. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not be an hair fall from the head of any of you. You're all going to be safe, but you need to eat something for your own good, good health. And... I, he wouldn't have had any trouble convincing me. I, <laughs> I, I get hungry. The fourteen days without food, I, I, I'd be eating the, eating the wood of the ship. I think. I, anyway, verse thirty-five. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread, and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And when he had spoken it, he began to eat. So he. He prayed to, to God in the presence of everybody. He spoke loud enough that they could hear him over the wind, I'm sure. And he wanted them to know that this was proper and this is what we do as, as Christians. <coughs> then were all they of good cheer, and they also took some meat, or they took some food. And we were in all the... Sh- we were in all in the ship, two hundred and three score and sixteen souls. Uh, that's three hundred and uh, seventy-six souls. Three hundred seventy-six people aboard this boat. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. They threw the their their rations that they had kept back they they had lost I'm sure they had lightened the ship before and thrown some of those amphorae of grain over the side to just for lightening the ship but now they threw out their their provisions of food and when it was day they knew not the land 
but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust the ship. So they, they didn't know what land they were up against here, but they saw a little creek coming down there and figured that was where the wa- water would be the deepest. So they said, let's push, push the ship right up into that little creek as far as we can and might save the ship by doing so. But we'll, that, was their, that was the idea. This was their, that was their mind. That was what their idea was. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. So the wind was blowing them pretty much in a favorable direction to, to get them into that creek. And they just trusted to the wind and they finally put up the sail and raised all their anchors and Verse 41, and falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. These waves were tremendous, and they were breaking up the back of the ship as the front end was stuck in the, in the sand or rocks or whatever, but it but it stuck fast, which was a good thing. Otherwise, the whole ship would be torn up. So the back of the ship was being torn up, and and everybody was, uh, they, they'd run into this place. It says where two seas met. By, by saying that, it's the way that the waves uh, circulated in towards that, that creek because of the, shape of the bottom of the ocean it's an interesting thing I was reading some on that and this gives an idea of why they were trying to get into that creek now so anyway that's what they were were doing but the back of the ship was breaking up so they couldn't stay on the ship and the soldiers council was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. They were responsible for the prisoners. If the prisoners escaped, it was their hides with the Roman government. So they, they counseled the, uh, the centurion to kill these prisoners. We don't want them to escape. We'd, be, we'd, we'd have to answer to the Roman government. But the centurion willing to save Paul, Paul in particular, he said, Paul isn't a, he hasn't done anything wrong. As far as I know, he's, he hasn't, you know, he's going there to, to Caesar to save his own hide, but he hasn't done anything wrong. So he, he liked Paul. He, and Paul had given them good counsel and they didn't listen. But he says, you know, this, this is a good man here. We don't, he says, willing to save Paul, he kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to the land. If you can swim, jump overboard and go for it. Get out of here. And I don't know if he said that to all the soldiers or who, but everybody had to leave the ship. 
and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship, they all went overboard and headed for land. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land, all of them. This, this is an amazing thing in itself, that nobody drowned just in getting into the land. So, Paul's counsel was, was assured. The counsel that the angel gave him came to pass. You know, the, the Hebrews said that if, if a prophet makes a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass, he wasn't a prophet of God. Because the things that God says come to pass. And the Apostle Paul said, this angel came to me and with a message from God saying, everyone's life is going to be saved. Which would be a miracle to, to their way of thinking. For anybody, for that big of a ship to go down and everybody aboard got safely to land, that's a miracle. They saw it that way, I'm sure. And everyone got to land safely. Okay, and this is where we'll stop. We're uh, back up. Matter of fact, we're even on time this morning. <laughs> so, any any comments on this? It's it's an exciting place. I mean, I I wouldn't want to be aboard a a, a sailing ship in the Mediterranean with this type this type of conditions. This is a dangerous time to be sailing. Not a, not a good idea to be out there. But um, God knew what he was doing, and he provided this miracle that everyone was saved. And just as Paul said, that we're going to lose the ship, but all your lives are going to be saved. Comforting thing to hear, but then when it comes to pass, they say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe this God that Paul serves is in, is in charge, you know? Strange thing, God is in charge, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean you couldn't rely on Diana or any of those other gods and goddesses that they serve to do that. But Paul's God is different. And I think that that wasn't lost on any of them. Any, any other comments? All right, we'll take a short break and resume in a little bit. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me when a stranger wandering from the fold of from danger interpose his precious blood oh to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to wonder Lord I feel it prone to leave the crowd I love 
take and seal it, seal it for thy course above. Anybody have an idea of what an Ebenezer is? Here I raise mine Ebenezer. What's an Ebenezer? Ebenezer is a stone of help. Uh, you remember when, who was it, was out sleeping and he saw the ladder or the stairway ascending into heaven? He was sleeping with his head on a rock. And that rock was called an Ebenezer. And a stone of help. He made an altar out of that rock. This became, the, the, the term Ebenezer refers to that stone. as my stone of help. It's the prayer that he offered up to God, realizing that this was where the angels were ascending to heaven and dealing with men. So now you know what a, a stone of help is. And it's... It's a prayer that you offer to God. It's your sacrifice of service to Him. So when it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. I've come to this, this place by God's help, and I'm asking for Him to continue to help me. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. So that's what... An Ebenezer is, that's an interesting point. Let's, let's sing number 402, just back a page. Let's stand as we sing.
says, the scripture says, pray without ceasing. That means you don't stop praying. Pray all the time. Essentially, yes. You give him your life. Everything about it. If there are things you're holding back from God, he knows. And you know. You're the only one who uh, limits your happiness in serving God. If, if you have things that, are, you know, that you hold back from God, you won't. You'll, you'll find you're not totally happy in your service. And that's what this song is about. And we need to have that trust and that obedience. When we, when we see what God wants for us, then we need to do it. I mean, it, it's one thing to see what he wants and another thing to do it. You trust first, and then you obey. You do what you you know to do, and that makes you happy. It'll give you the peace and contentment. Where holding things back from God is not a good idea, ever. And we are all we all have that human nature. But I like this. I like doing this, or I I, I want to do this, or I want to. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. If God doesn't have access to our whole life, we won't be totally happy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Brother Dennis, would you be the sex with Ray? Brother, thanks for this other beautiful day and for love and care. And so many beautiful school. Thank you for many blessings and gifts of life. Yeah, we all every time. <laughs> just put a, put a little, uh, a little dot there. Dot, well, a dot <laughs> but there. I mean, almost every church says it. But what, what there was, you know, the preacher that brought that out to me was Brother Cameron because he liked to sing like it was written, you know. And <laughs> oh, he, okay. he said, "There is no hole there after Jesus." <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. Pardon me. I never noticed that so before. I've always thought of that, but we all like to hold that Jesus. I mean, everybody yeah. should do it. I mean, I don't put a bird's eye over that. <laughs> it's always the way I've, it's, yeah, I've always heard it played. It Makes you wonder if somebody did that along the line somewhere and yeah, said, it's a, better to have a pause there. Yeah, they liked it that way. And it does sound good, though. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. We're missing some this morning. Um, I know Sister Tammy is away with her family in the mountains, and Sister Karen is in Castle Rock. She'll be back hopefully this evening. 
Um, so missing them. Uh, Sister Donna's not feeling well this morning, so remember her. We have good days and bad days, and we take the good with the bad. And of course, remember Andy. Andy's not feeling well this morning. Um, heard that Hannah came for a visit, so and told him she's getting married. So we'll remember her as well, and um, Sister Barbara as well uh, is not feeling well. So let's remember these. Uh, Brother Wayne's doing some therapy now to help strengthen him. So. Hopefully that's helping helping you out a little bit. So I hope it is. It looks like it was this morning. You walked from the from over there to there, so without assistance. So that that looked pretty good this morning. So let's continue. Remember um, those are in need of prayer. Uh, let's remember. Um, turn over there so I can read it. <laughs> continue. Remember Megan Mosier and her family. Um, remember Sister Judy I did mail off the, uh, the love offering this week along with the card so that should be should be there or there any day now so uh, remember her continue remember Sister Paula Dovers who's recovering from COVID and still had some issues with her feet um, she's still at home recovering uh, so remember her uh, continue remember Addie um, and as she continues to battle heart cancer. I haven't heard from Rhonda this week, um, but I know that she's preparing to to move uh, to Texas. So uh, remember her as she moves and the Lord will be with her and take care of all of her needs there. And maybe she can find a church there locally that she can join with. Is she needing help to move anything? I think she's already moved. She's already moved? She had, I know the last time she was here, she said it'd take her. She'd move in like a month. So, if she does need help, yeah, we could help her with that. Uh, continue to remember um, Sherry um, and continue to remember Cody. It's Cody, Brianna, and Zoe, right? Yeah. Okay. Remember them. I continue to remember uh, my, one of my coworkers, April Morris, who uh, has skin cancer. Just remember her. Um, continue to remember uh, Dennis's niece, uh, Heather Martin, who lost the baby. It was about a month ago, I think. Longer, longer than that. Let's continue to remember them. Continue to remember the uh, the church there at Lancaster, the and uh, Chris and Julie Budd. Um, they enjoyed their time with us. What we got, we got Shirley and Wayne and Donna and I got to have dinner with them uh, when they were here. They really enjoyed their visit. So um, remember them as they uh, would like to call a pastor. They've been with a pastor for seven years. So remember them. Uh, continue to remember Brother Daryl and Sister Rebecca Ellis as they moved to Arkansas. Of course, he was the one that stepped down from the church there in Hawaii. Uh, remember Brother Adkins. Brother Grant did say this week that Brother Adkins is still having a hard time recovering, but he's still at home. So they've arranged, I think, some visits with them. But just remember him for his health and for uh, Sister Adkins as well. Um, continue to remember um, Ray and Robert. Yes. I've... Robert is your brother, and Ray is his son. Yes. yes. So remember... Okay. Her name is Kim, 
and she and her daughter and granddaughter are moving to Florida. They lost they lost six people out of her five I think it's five people out of their family. Her husband, her son, a brother in law to her uh, yeah, a son in law of hers and just a whole slew of people within mm. six months. And mm. she was in just she was in pain. She was getting rid of all the stuff that she and her husband had collected over the years. And fifty four years they've been married. Mm. And uh, like like you to remember her as she travels. Okay. Uh, I bought some things at her sale. And she said she said everything has to go. It was a moving sale. And she said, if anything that I can't carry with me is going to stay here and it's just lost. Mm -hmm. And I, I bought some, a stack of tile that I was needing for fixing the floor in my house. And uh, she gave me a good deal on that and she was glad to get the money. She was afraid that was one of the things she was going to have to leave behind. <laughs> you can't carry tile. That's, it's not. to a ton of tile there. But, uh, she's. She is a believer, and and her daughter is not. And so, I'd like you to remember them. I don't know the daughter's name, but she has a, a young daughter too. So, but they're moving to Florida, uh, the southern part of Florida, on the east east coast of Florida. Okay. Let's remember this. Um, continue. Remember the church in New Macedonia, brother Jared and sister Elizabeth did. Did uh, reconcile, I think, that text I sent this week. So continue to remember them in the church there. Uh, that was a wonderful blessing to hear this week. Um, I haven't heard from Brother Gary Morris in a little while. I probably need to call him this week. We try to talk at least once every couple weeks. So um, continue to remember um, Brody Hinkle. I've mentioned he's a young, uh, young kid that has cancer. One of my friends through my professional organization. Um, continue to remember our church here for spiritual growth. Um, continue to remember our nation and our military, our leaders. And of course, the conflict over in Ukraine. Uh, remember uh, Kathy and Fred. Gebnik. I'm, I know I'm going to mispronounce it. But uh, I've, she sent quite a bit of pictures this week in text. So I uh, enjoyed getting to talk to her a little bit. Um, continue to remember Elias and Katrina. They did get moved in. And they're settling into their house. Um, See so that they said the Lord's provided all their needs, so they were they were pretty ecstatic about that. You know, the Lord always provides what we need. Um, continue to remember uh, Andy's friend uh, Kathy um, as she moves on in life. I know that she's she was supposed to be moving, so remember her. And then, of course, remember those of our number that are sick and ailing. Any other prayer requests this morning? Remember my son Daniel. Daniel. He lives in Nevada, but he uh, come down with COVID last week. Okay. And remember you as well. Oh, hard for him to filter out. Maybe like a cold is bad for him, you know. Yeah. Okay. Is he still in the hospital? Who? In uh, the hospital. No, he's not in the hospital. Okay. Uh, 
he's at home when they, of course, got him on medication. Let's remember Daniel. Um, did uh, David make it back safely? Yeah, he's at home. Good. Okay. Let's continue. Remember you, as you you've got a another a CT scan this Friday. Yeah. So, and then waiting for the call from the doctor. And then, then after that, after they read the scans, they're supposed to give us a date for operation. Operation. I meet with the yeah. I meet with the doctors and get your well, surgery yeah, date set up. Well, the Lord certainly got all that under control. Yeah. I'm very confident in that. So let's remember this. Anything else? Anyone else? Not. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Brother Patrick, would you got, uh, lead our prayer, please? Amen. Well, this morning we'll start in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to... So first in a series of messages, we're going to look at... and Regarding letting the Lord fashion us after His image. So we'll begin here and again first Philippians chapter 3. Um, you folks don't mind, I'm going to read a few things out of a couple different translations, so just bear with me. I think it's good for us to look at that. Um, Jubilee, you better behave. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. <clears throat> it says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I have may apprehend that for which I may I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it even unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we are already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. So the passage of Scripture here, Brother Paul is addressing the, the brethren there at the church of Philippi. Paul states that he has not already attained it. 
according to this passage, are apprehended, as the King James Version says. He says he doesn't count as that he has already been made perfect or complete, as that word translates there. He says that he presses onwards to the what? To the prize. What's the prize? It's to be with the Lord, isn't it? Let me read that same passage of Scripture out of the New American Standard, so bear with me for just a moment. Read the same passage here. It says, Not that I have already obtained it and have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many are as perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following the example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So what's the importance of this passage of Scripture? What is our goal in life? What is the goal that we have in this present moment? As servants of the Lord, our goal is to be what? To spend eternity with the Lord. But it requires us to make it through this present time, right? This present life that we're in. And how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. It's going to take us a little time to observe it, but it's going to, we're going to look, we'll look into these things over the next couple of weeks. And I say next couple of weeks because it takes a long time to delve through this information. It's a lot of information. I believe the Lord keeps it very simplistic, but it takes time to cover that information. Paul mentions here and impresses on the church at Philippi that he does what? He doesn't count himself as having laid hold of it yet, but he presses on. Well, the same thing here. We haven't obtained it yet, but we're pressing on through this life that we may obtain or so that we may obtain. Few things I want us to look at here. One of those words is, <clears throat> excuse me. One of those words translates for a uh, particular reason. It translates, as he says, he presses on there. It's called teleos. It's talking about labor, growth, mental or moral character. He's talking about being perfect. Perfect is the word, but it translates to this. What we just said regarding labor, growth, mental or moral character. So in the knowledge and knowledge and truth is what it mentions there. So laboring and growth, mental, moral character in the knowledge and truth. Think about that for a little bit. Being perfect in the sense of the world, we've talked about this many times, is not being without flaw, but being made complete, a completeness in the Lord. 
Who can fashion that? We can't. We can't of our own accord. But it comes through reliance upon the Lord. Through the Spirit. The Spirit allowing the Lord to work through us by the Spirit to fashion this in us. Being made complete. Then he goes on there in the a little bit further in that passage there in the same verse where he talks about being complete or perfect. He talks about attitude. What kind of attitude do we need to have as the Lord's people? That word there is phronio, and I know I'm not a Greek scholar, y'all, so I'm going to botch these words. It talks about having a particular mindset or attitude. Paul's teaching was that they still keep living by the same ways to which they had what, attained. So the same things they learned up until this point, he says, keep living by those same standards. Don't go back to this. Don't go back to anything before your understanding. But rather, what? He stresses following after his example, the pattern that is set in, what, that they follow after the pattern that he set before them, right? Well, who set that pattern for Paul? Christ did. Even though he didn't physically see Christ during his life on the earth, what did he do? Jesus appeared to him out of season, didn't he? And told him, you're going to go and you're going to learn how it is to be a servant of me. He didn't say it in that many words, but that's exactly what the, the purpose behind his message was. Because I've got a purpose for you to go and preach to the Gentiles. So, how do we let the Lord work through us, fashioning us into his likeness? Go on to Philippians chapter 4. Next chapter over. A few short verses that kind of go along the same line. We've read this in, in previous weeks. It says there in verses 8 and 9, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in their Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished <clears throat> Again, wherein ye are also careful, but ye lack opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therefore to be content. But I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound wherever, and all in all things, all instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my afflictions." I'll stop there for the moment. Particularly in verse 8 and 9, he talks about what? He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever. He goes on through, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue. There be any praise. Think on these things. Why is that important? Focus on what matters. Focus on the things that the, that the Lord provides for us. 
If we focus just on the things of this life, the things that we encounter out in this world, we're going to get bogged down. But thank God we have a greater hope in us. Greater opportunity that's ever been presented on this earth. Why? Because it comes through the one who created this place. He says, continue in what has been learned. He talks about over there in chapter 3. Practice in such things. The Lord will grant peace. So, do these things. There'll be, there'll be peace. Can we do those of our own accord? No. We must lean on the Lord for His understanding and His guidance through the Spirit. Whom Jesus said what? I'm sending you a comforter. Are our lives in shambles or in peace? Do we have that peace that we would like to have? Maybe we need to give that over to the Lord. We know this was stressed by Brother Paul in Acts and 1 Corinthians, which we won't turn, we won't turn over there, but through our studies with Brother Ed on Sunday, on Sunday mornings, through our studies as we went through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, these things were borne out. What did he tell them? He told them the things to avoid. Why? Because they lead to further heartache. Paul instructed them, stay away from this, stay away from that. But he didn't just tell them that. He says, this is, he lays out, this is what the Lord expects of us. How do we do that? We lay down ourselves and pick him up, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? That's what the scripture commands us to do. He, as we've been studying over in Galatians, chapter, uh, the first couple cap chapters in Galatians, what is one of the things he said? He told the Galatians to avoid some things. He told them to avoid going back under the law through circumcision. Why? That had its place before Christ came. What was he stressing? Don't go back under the law. Christ is here to fulfill the law that you might have a better way. Now let the Lord continue working in you. Don't go back to the old things because they've been fulfilled for that purpose. Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Very familiar passage of Scripture. The Lord is addressing the disciples here. In verse 57. He says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. 
And he said unto the other, follow me. But he saith, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having hath put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You're like, that sounds pretty cruel. The intent behind it was not that Jesus was a cruel man that said, you're going to leave all this stuff behind you and follow after me. It was that, hey, you have to change your mind. Submit. Trust and obey what we talked about before. Trust and obey. The Lord will take care of all those things. Jesus was not cold-blooded. He wasn't telling him. Write him off. This is more important. He was just stressing. He was stressing this is more important. Follow after me. What does Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. I know that's a very, very summarized version of that verse. But the thought is still there accurately. Folks, we are here to serve the Lord first. Doesn't matter what I, Tyler Porterfield, want. What does the Lord want? Doesn't matter what I want to say. What does the scripture say about it? What does the Lord, what would the Lord have us to say? How does that come? Letting the Lord fashion us into who he wants us to be, not who we want to be. He talks about laying down the old man. The Tyler Porterfield that is the old man is not the same as the Tyler that should be here today. It's a constant, ongoing, progressive action, isn't it? Changing our lives. How do we do that? By trusting and obeying. We understand that according to this passage, Jesus was talking to them regarding entering a service here in Luke. Leaving or casting aside their old life and placing their gaze intently focused on who? On the Lord. On Him. That last passage of Scripture is pretty final in its instruction, isn't it? There in chapter 9. Jesus said unto them, Now no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What did he want to stress? You take your eye off something and you're going towards something. What are you going to do? You're end off, off the mark, aren't you? What is sin? Sin is to miss the mark. We don't talk about sin very often. We talk about the lack thereof. We need to remember that we are not without sin. We need to place our burdens at Jesus' feet and let him take care of those things. But to sin is to miss the marks. We take our eye off something, we're going to miss it, right? Focus. Intent focus, right? That should be our goal. 
keeping our eyes from the distraction of life, the physical life that will pass away. And placing our mark, our, our, our goal in life on what? Being focused intently on Christ and pleasing the Lord, our God. That's the expectation over in the Old Testament is what? Serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? It says, love the Lord your God. Second is, love your neighbor, right? As yourself. It's a pretty simple principle to live our lives by, isn't it? but how hard it is sometimes to do it. It's pretty easy to take and lay ourselves down and go, okay, Lord, show me what it is I'm supposed to do. We can't get that if we take our eye off the mark. It's contingent on us obeying the Lord. We say we trust him. Most of us here have entered into baptism and in, into the covenantal baptism and entered into the assembly serving the Lord. So we've made the commitment. We just need to continue placing it at the, at the Lord's feet. That's the instruction. Look to him. Let him take care of all that. Isn't that what Paul said? After the manner that after the pattern that you found in, in us, right? Keep walking that way. Let's look at first Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. We'll look there starting in chapter 6 with verse 7. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they will that will be rich fall into temptation and to snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, and while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, laying hold on eternal life, whereunto you also are called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And give thee charge in the sight of God, who hath quickened all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep his commandments without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in times he shall shew, who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who only hath immortality dwelling in lot with which no man can approach unto. Whom no man hath seen nor can see, that to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God of whose giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up the stores for themselves of a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is entrusted to thy, uh, committed to thy trust, Avoid profane and vain babblings of opposition of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be to you. Grace be to thee. Amen. It's a pretty lengthy reading of Scripture there, but it's all pretty uh, nice and neatly tied up into a bow. Paul's instruction to Timothy as a minister on what's expected. talks about being content. He says, you have nothing when you come to this world and you have nothing when you go out. What's the purpose? Make the most of our time. Investing our time in what's important. What is important? Serving the Lord our God and being pleasing to Him. He goes on there talking about food and raiment, being there with content. Be content with what you have. Because when we're not content, what happens? We want more. We want more. We're never satisfied. We leave no place for the Lord to satisfy our souls. Which, the reading of his word, the encouragement of one another, that should fill up our soul. That should be what makes us content. Not none of this stuff out here that will pass away. You can't carry it with you to eternity. That's what he says here. I'm not, it's not my words. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight. There you go. There's a, dis there, there's a disclaimer. It's not easy. It is a constant battle. What's the statement? If it was easy, everyone would do it. Most people flinch at a little bit of uncomfortability in life, don't they? We lack water. We get upset about we can't take our showers. We can't eat. It's too hot. We need air to cool us down because we're not, we're complaining about being uncomfortable. There's not enough food so we can fill our bellies full. That's not the intent. The intent is for us to focus on the most important thing in life. Being a servant of God in Christ. Paul's admonition to Timothy here was for him not to be caught up in the things which lead to destruction, right? He says there, 
But they are them that rich fall into temptation and snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. In life, we typically need some money to take care of us. It's the love of money that's the destruction there. Because again, you can't fulfill your need. You just continually, you need more and more and more. He says, there are those that have done this. He says, that have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows there in verse 10. But thou, O man, flee these things and follow after righteousness, God in his faith, love, patience, and meekness. That's a pretty, pretty harsh statement there. But it's one of comfort and one of peace. It should be. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things before Christ Jesus who in Pontius Pilate's witness good confession. Who's the only one that that would bring pain on if we don't follow after Jesus? Jesus. I mean, he, he bled and died for us. The Lord sent him to do these things for us that we would have a better way. Let us not be deceived in our own understanding. We were created for the purpose and intent of honoring and worshiping God. Lovingly, mind you. He goes on there and he says, which in his time he shall shew who is blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath Immortality dwelling in light with no man can approach unto. Whom have not seen and cannot see and whom be honor and power everlasting. He goes on there and he says, okay, Timothy, <laughs> beyond this, he says, that's who's most important is the Lord God. He goes, charge them. Tell them in their service not to be lifted up in their riches. Think that there's something they're not. One of the things you see with people that are rich is they think they have all the power, don't they? Commonly, a statement is made in this world that to have money is to have power. Because you can buy what you want. But does it last? That's what Paul was trying to demonstrate to Timothy here. He's like, it's, he's like you go after these things and there's going to be a lot of hurt there. This is rather what? Charge them to... Not be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, because they're not going to fulfill what the Lord does. He says, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He goes, encouraging them that they do good, that they uh, they be rich in good works, ready to communicate, dwelling in, uh, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Brothers and sisters, we can't, do these things if we can't rely on the Lord how are we going to make it he tells them there he says these things he says that they do good that they be rich in good works distributing readily willing to communicate it requires us to do something doesn't it with our trust in the Lord. We need to communicate with one another. We see what happens when there's a breakdown in communication. There's typically arguments amongst our group, isn't there? Disagreements. 
rich in good works. Good works is a product of our faith. Not the other way around. <laughs> faith isn't a product of our good works. As some out there would have us believe. So we place our trust in the Lord. What is it that he tells us to do? Minister to one another. Help one another. Help those that are not of our number. Why? Because then they might see Jesus working in us. Laying up and store for themselves a good foundation against the times to come. Hmm. You mean we need to store up some things? Absolutely. Building upon the most holy faith, right? That's the riches we need to accumulate. It says, O Timothy, keep that which is uh, committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and idle babblings and the opposition of sciencely falsely called. The opposition of science. Science is not altogether bad. But what is the problem with science? The disproving of God, isn't it? That's what men typically seek to do with science. He says, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Ouch. What about you? But we have an opportunity to be filled up with all the good things that the Lord provides. But how do we do that? By trusting and obeying. That's exactly how we do that. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. I know I've gone over about 10 minutes, but we've been kind of about 10 minutes behind all morning long. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Oops, I didn't say that. 1 Peter chapter 1. I was just checking to see if y'all were listening to me. We'll try to make haste here and finish up. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season I have need be. Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that trial of your faith, being more precious than of gold than that persisteth, or excuse me, perisheth, boy. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, of whom hath not seen ye love, and whom that ye now see him not, yet believe ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that was, should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it is revealed, excuse me, <clears throat> Unto whom it is revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, 
sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope unto the end of grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. But it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So what's the admonition here that Brother Peter sets out to give us? To the hope of salvation and calling preserved. He goes there, he says, That the trial, verse 7, That the trial of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perisheth, though it be tried by fire, might be found in a praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That that might be fashioned in us. One of the things that I think about, I'm not, I, not very good at metallurgy, but I know a little bit about it. When you heat up metal, it can be something very hideous and ugly when you pull it out of the ground, right? But you want to heat it up and forge it into something that is far more precious, right? That's the image that I get out of this, is that he's fashioning us into something that is to his praise and honor and glory. The trials, through our trials, that we're being tempered into the likeness of Christ. Going through a painful process, we have to be heated and tested and tried. But by trusting, obeying, something comes out of that that's far more glorious than the than the beginning. There, he says, there of which salvation the prophets inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. The prophets diligently looked into this. They looked long and hard at it. Let us not be fooled that our service to the Lord is going to be something that's very, very easy. It is not. But nevertheless, let us go through the difficulties that we have being tested and tempered into something that Christ would find glory in. And the only way we can do that is by putting our trust in Him. It's not through ourselves and it's not through works, but it's by our faith in Him that this happens. Look at Galatians chapter 5 where we'll come to a close. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 is where we'll start. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, that ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You mean I can't do what I'm supposed, I want to do? No. We need to do the things that the Lord would desire for us to do. After all, we trust and obey, don't we? We're supposed to be fashioned in the likeness of Christ. That's what the scripture says. That's what should be our desire. Again, like we talked about over there in Luke, Keeping our eye fixed on what? On what's in front of us, what's to come. 
goes on there, but if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. Of which I tell you before and have told you in times past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. And they that are crucified, having Christ's flesh with the afflictions of affections and lust, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So, how do we let this be fashioned in our lives? is kind of all tied up here he says walk in the spirit how do we walk in the spirit we've laid down our lives in this flesh life being raised up in the likeness of Christ to walk with him what did he say there he says the fruit of the spirit what's going to be born out in that so we walk by the Spirit. It's gonna, we're gonna, our life's going to manifest these things. It's going to bear that fruit. 